It is Thursday, November 17th, and this is People Every Day. Hello, hello, everyone. It's Thursday, which means we are officially less than one week away from Thanksgiving. Not that I've been counting. We have plenty of exciting stories to cover for you today, so we're going to jump right in. First, an update on Jay Leno, who is currently in recovery after a gasoline fire left him with significant second- and third-degree burns on Saturday. As you may recall, the former Tonight Show and current Jay Leno's garage host was working on a steam engine underneath a car in his garage when a fire began, causing the severe burns. But now we've learned just how severe. During a press conference yesterday, Dr. Peter Grossman, who is the medical director at the Grossman Burn Center, where Leno is being treated, detailed the comedian's current treatment plan. He revealed Leno underwent a surgical excision and grafting procedure to his face, chest, and hands. Grossman noted that burns are progressive and can become deeper due to natural swelling that occurs with an injury, but they are actively working to prevent that by using a treatment known as hyperbaric oxygen therapy. Quote, by getting a patient into a hyperbaric oxygen tank early, you can hopefully minimize that progression from a second-degree burn to a third-degree burn and hopefully improve the outcome. That's what Grossman said. While Leno remains in treatment, doctors said he is in good spirits and expected to make a full recovery. Quote, whether there'll be remnants of this injury, it's still too early to tell. That's what Grossman says. We're wishing the best for Jay as he begins his journey towards recovery. Next up, we just learned how Pete Davidson got turned down by Kim K the first time he asked her out. Though the couple broke up back in August, their relationship lives on, for now, in the new season of Hulu's The Kardashians. In last night's episode, Pete made his debut on the show as viewers got an inside look at the former couple's 2022 Met Gala date from this past May. As it turns out, the Met Gala held some significance for the couple, as Pete revealed that one year prior at the 2021 gala, he had asked Kim for her number, only to be politely rejected. Guys. Asked for your number at the last Met, and you pretended that you couldn't give it to me because you had gloves on. I know. Will you ask me again this time? I I don't have gloves on. If you recall, that was the Kanye-inspired all-black hooded faceless ensemble that had Kim looking like a literal shadow of herself, you know, with the gloves. Well, even though her initial rejection of Pete may have stung. He felt, even at the time, that Kim's way of turning him down was something special. It was actually the nicest excuse ever. Like, I like went, I knew it was like an excuse, but I remember being... It wasn't an excuse. I remember being in the car being like, wow, she, she knows how to like make someone feel really good about themselves. I was like, I thought that was really sweet. Though Pete and Kim are over now, we still have a lot of their relationship left to cover on the show. And if this past episode is any indication, we'll be getting lots of good details. Next Wednesday's episode can't come soon enough for fans of Kardashian chaos. Next up, we're taking a look at the tragedy that occurred in Moscow, Idaho this weekend, where four University of Idaho students were found stabbed to death inside their home. The town of Moscow, Idaho is still reeling after authorities have not identified any suspects or persons of interest in the wake of last weekend's murder of four college students. Sometime early Sunday morning, Ethan Chapin, Zana Kernodal, Madison Morgan, and Kaylee Gonzalez were killed. The four University of Idaho students were found dead in the home they shared with other roommates. Authorities have been pretty tight-lipped about what happened at the gruesome crime scene, but they believe the students were killed by a knife. The town's mayor shared with news outlets, quote, 
The overall assessment is that it's a crime of passion and added, it's one of any of a plentitude of possibilities, including burglary gone wrong, robbery gone wrong. Any of those is a possibility and not one to the exclusion of others. The story has been gaining steam all week and to help us sort through the murky details is People's Digital Crime Editor, Greg Hanlon. Hi, Greg. Thanks for being here. Hi, Janine. Thanks for having me. So, Greg, just kind of set the scene for us. What's the town like? What were these poor students doing prior to this tragedy? It's a small town. It's about 25,000 right on the border of Idaho and Washington. And these students were enjoying a typical college night out. Ethan and his girlfriend, Zana, were at a party on campus and Madison and Kaylee were at a bar. All four of them arrived back at the home sometime about 1.45 a.m. And the killings took place overnight. But strangely, the call to police about the killings didn't come in until about noon the next day. Police have said that the killings took place in the early morning hours after they returned, and they're calling it a homicide. Police have said all all of them were killed with a combat-style knife, and two roommates were at the home at the time of the killings. So these four victims, it sounds like they were all friends, right? Yeah, they were extremely close, and their their social media posts speak to that. The three young women were roommates. Ethan was dating Zana. Kaylee actually shared a photo of all of them taken earlier that day on our social media, just hours uh, before it happened. The most recent development that we do know is that they were together, and there's video, Right. There was a video that was posted to Twitch that showed Madison and Kaylee out uh, standing on a line at a food truck hours before the mere hours before they returned home. There's a lot of speculation, but the video shows them having some apparent encounter with a man and then walking away from the man, at which point the man sort of seems to throw up his, his arms and make an expression that some are interpreting as being offended or exasperated. It's all speculative at this point, but a lot of people are looking at that video and trying to parse uh, that video in the context of what happened. There's some some murkiness going on here about like what happened. Even that statement from the mayor is like, it could have been anything. And the fact that there were other people there in the house as well. Yeah, there's a lot of confusion. One, the fact that the other roommates were home at the time of these stabbing deaths, and police have not even affirmatively identified them as witnesses. So that aspect doesn't really add up. Two, the fact that the call about the killings didn't come in until noon the next day with these two people home while their three roommates are getting stabbed to death, that obviously invites many questions. The nature of the call, police have said that they were called to a report of an unconscious person. And that's just a a strange way of putting what happened. Police initially said there was no threat to the community that this was targeted. But since then, they've walked that back. We basically don't know. Needless to say, at this point, the families are, are not thrilled with police. Ethan's father has pointed out that the absence of concrete information has sowed rumors and lots of innuendo. I mean, this is just so scary and chilling. Like, what's the vibe like in the town right now and at the university? Yeah, I, I think I think many in the community share those sentiments. Authorities have not given much reason to have people think that they have a handle on this. A school canceled classes on Monday. A lot of professors canceled classes just for the rest of the week. People are very sad that they lost their beloved friends and classmates. Goodness. Greg, 
This is a tough one. Thank you so much for for breaking it down for us. We'll keep you guys updated as we hopefully learn more about what happened and hopefully their family can, you know, get some answers and and try to seek some justice and maybe get some solace in all of this. Janine, thanks for having me on. Coming up, the Candace Cameron Bure culture war over Christmas movies is still top news today as Hallmark is gearing up for their big Christmas con heading to New Jersey this December. People's own Brianne Heldman is back and talking to Mean Girls alum Jonathan Bennett about what you can expect from this year's convention and what he makes of the Cameron Bure controversy. But first, we've reached the time of year where some of the films receiving big awards buzz are making their way into the theaters. After the break, we are joined by our very own Nigel Smith to preview some of the major movies set to hit the big screen. We'll be right back. Hey, everyone. I'm Sid Evans, editor-in-chief of Southern Living and host of Biscuits and Jam. Since 2020, I've been interviewing musicians, chefs, authors, and other Southern icons about their family traditions, their faith, their favorite meals, and of course, what it means to be Southern. And I'm excited to announce season five of our award-winning podcast. Join me every Tuesday for new conversations with some of the most interesting and influential Southerners around. Be sure to follow Biscuits and Jam wherever you get your podcasts. You can also find us online at southernliving.com slash biscuits and jam. What's my favorite season, you ask? Awards. Maura Rose hit the nail on the head with that one when she said that on Schitt's Creek. But in all seriousness, award season is right around the corner, and there's already so many films generating Oscars buzz. And lucky for us, we have our movie expert in the house to tell us which ones are a must-see. Joining me now to talk all about movies is People's Senior Editor, Nigel Smith. Hey, Nigel. Hey, happy start to the award season. I know. Well, one movie that has been making headlines for a while now is The Whale. The film premiered this year at the Venice Film Festival and sees Brendan Fraser, I love him, return to the big screen. So, Nigel, what's this movie about and why should moviegoers go see it? Well, this is a small character study based on a play. The lead character, played by Brendan Fraser, is an English teacher, and he teaches remote with his camera off because he wants to hide the fact that he is severely overweight to the public. The entire film takes place within this man's very confined apartment as he basically dies <laughs> over the course of two hours and tries to reconnect with his estranged daughter and his estranged ex-wife and just get his life in order as his health deteriorates. I was very, very moved by this film. I thought it was just beautifully acted and gorgeously directed. Wow. Wow. Okay, I got to see that one. Another movie that I can't wait to see is The Fablemans, directed by the great Steven Spielberg. This is the story of his childhood. Yeah, it's a film about a young director coming of age, kind of before he knew he wanted to become a director. So it tracks quite a few years in this young guy's life. But it is based, he says loosely, but it's based pretty much on Steven Spielberg's own life growing up. His mother in the film is played by Michelle Williams, who a lot of people think is a front runner for Best Actress. And then we also have Paul Dano playing his dad. It's uplifting in only the way that Spielberg could do. And it gives you all the feels about coming of age and of the love for cinema. 
And it just gives you a lot of insight into what makes him tick as as a filmmaker. I've heard people are saying she could actually get that Best Actress Oscar, but she'll have some competition with Kate Blanchett for her role as Lydia Tarr in the film Tarr. Even since this movie premiered, it received rave reviews. I know you saw the movie and loved it. Like The Whale, this is another very dark character study. And in this one, Kate Blanchett plays Lydia Tarr, who is a world-renowned composer. She's won countless awards. The movie begins with basically just summarizing exactly how renowned this person is. It's full of secrets and it has to do with a lot of current things that affect our culture, specifically the Me Too movement. And it kind of just follows this Lydia Tarr as she basically has a breakdown over the course of a three-hour period. And this is one of Kate Blanchett's biggest performances. This role just shows the lengths that Kate goes. I mean, she had to learn how to conduct an orchestra. She had to perfect her German because she speaks a lot of German fluently in the film. And she plays a very unlikable character, but you really can't turn your eyes away from her because she makes her so transfixing. And she's in every frame of this movie. Okay. Well, I just added all these movies to my watch list. Nigel, thank you for these suggestions. It's always wonderful having you on. Thank you so much and have fun at the movies. know we're a week away from Thanksgiving, and while I'm very much looking forward to Turkey Day, I know many of you folks out there have been in full-on Christmas mode since the clock struck midnight after Halloween, which is why I'm passing the mic over to People's senior TV editor and holiday movie guru, Brianne Heldman, to talk all about Christmas Con and the can't-miss Christmas movies coming to a TV near you. Take it away, Brianne. Thanks, Janine. It's my favorite TV season right now. Sorry, Emmys. And I'm so relieved that the weather here in New York City has finally turned frightful, making it so much easier to curl up with an epic blanket and watch holiday movies. There are over 150 new original movies this year alone. I personally love the absurd need for decorations in every scene, the snow, the ice skating, the love stories, and the guaranteed happy ending. It is my zen happy place. And I'm so thankful that they are becoming more and more inclusive in their storytelling. So joining me now is someone who is an advocate for the LGBTQ community and who makes sure to include families like his own in his storytelling. He's a proper hunk of Hallmark and always looks sexy with his hair pushed back. Jonathan Bennett, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. What what a kind intro. I would like you to say that to me every morning. Thank you very much. I'm going to remember that for Christmas Con in a few weeks. <laughs> Jonathan, we've gotten to know each other through these holiday movies over the years. Why do you think these films have become such a pop culture phenomenon? Well, I think... There's a lot of different reasons, but one of my favorite reasons is because of the fans. And when we're at Christmas Con, where we get to meet all the fans of the Christmas movies, it's the stories that the people tell us of why these movies mean something to them. There's a lot of people that are maybe going through something or maybe having a hard time. And these movies are kind of their escape into almost like a holiday family for themselves. We have a lot of stories of people that come up at Christmas Con and tell us that. I love that. Over the past few years, they have introduced the first LGBTQ plus characters on Hallmark Network with The Christmas House and Christmas House 2. You played Brandon, and it was really the first time 
We've seen a same-sex couple on the channel in a big way. The film even received back-to-back GLAAD Award nominations in 2021 and 2022 for Best TV Movie. Tell me about how this first step came to be and what it meant for you. The first time I got the script for The Christmas House, I immediately started reading. I got to the first scene where I'm with my husband of the movie and we're talking about adoption. And I was like, wait a minute. And I remember distinctively screaming to James, my husband, and being like, babe, there's a gay character. And he like came running up the stairs. And I remember it was like such a moment of like feeling so seen and feeling like that Christmas is for like me and James too. And I think Hallmark just did a flawless job of executing it because it felt real and it didn't feel forced. So when Hallmark announced its new slate for the holiday season this year, it announced the first film with a leading LGBTQ plus couple called the movie is called The Holiday Sitter and stars you and George Krissa. And I know you're also an executive producer on the film. So I cannot even imagine how much pride you feel about being such a big part of this. It came from the idea that I had where I was like, I want to do a Christmas movie where it's an LGBTQ plus led couple. And one of my favorite movies is Uncle Buck. And so our my pitch to the network was, what if it was Uncle Buck, but he's gay? And they immediately fell in love with the idea, embraced it, and supported it from day one. So I wrote the story, and then my friend Greg Baldwin wrote the script, and then we had some rewrites. What I love so much about Hallmark Channel is the care they take in the quality of telling the story, especially when it involves LGBTQ plus people. And they listen, and they are just so supportive and handle it so well. So it was really a collaboration from all different members of the community to make the perfect movie. That's awesome. It's amazing to hear that they did take so much time and care. There's been a lot of conversation happening around these films with Candace Cameron Bure recently mentioning that Great American Family Projects will focus on traditional marriage. I say that with air quotes that you all cannot see. Do you think now more than ever, films like yours are needed to show all family types? More than ever. I think films like The Holiday Sitter are so important because more than ever right now, we need to see representation of love for the LGBTQ plus community in programming, in in what we watch. And I'm just so proud to be a part of Hallmark Channel that's doing so much inclusive programming. Yeah, absolutely. I cannot end this conversation without talking about Christmas Con. Jonathan and I were at Christmas Con in Pasadena in August, and we will both be at Christmas Con in New Jersey, December 9th, 10th, and 11th. He is one of the hosts, along with Lacey Chabert, and I will be moderating all of the panels. What is your favorite part of all of these events? Here's the thing. The fans are the number one important part, but the number two important part is Hallmark Channel is different than any other network because it really is a family from all the actors and the creatives and the producers and the executives to the fans that watch the movies. So by the time Christmas Con rolls around, everyone has shot their Christmas movie and is excited about it. So it's like we all get to come together and kind of celebrate each other. Just being there with each other and kind of pepping each other up and getting ready for the new year is kind of something that's really special at Christmas Con. I have to ask if there's another... Hallmark regular that you haven't starred with that you really want to? Lacey Chabert. I told Hallmark the press writes itself. 
We will have the most fun. I think her and I should play in a movie together and it'll be hilarious and do like a really fun comedy because Lacey's comedy skills are epic. I'm here for it. Jonathan, thank you so much for being with us here today and sharing a little pre-holiday cheer. Everyone, please make sure to watch The Holiday Sitter premiering on Hallmark Channel on December 11th and head to people.com to learn more about this season's holiday films. Thank you so much. All right, guys, I'll send you off with this. For a lot of us, it's been a busy year. Going back to the office, getting used to the commute again, and trying to get our lives back to normal. But no one this year has been busier, or shall I say, gotten busier, than Nick Cannon. (laughs) The mass Singer host has had... 11 kids with six different women since 2011, with four of those kids being born in the last five months. And that's not all. Cannon has yet another child on the way with model Alyssa Scott due sometime in 2023. This on top of his handful of jobs, which he clearly needs. So needless to say, Nick is a busy guy. And on last night's Comedy Roast Night edition of The Masked Singer, Cannon's co-host couldn't help but give the singer a good ribbing. Ken Jeong, was first to go. Nick is tired. He's been up all night memorizing his kids' names. But the hosts weren't the only ones in on the fun. One of the contestants, the yet-to-be-unmasked Snowstorm, offered roasts towards Cannon and his co-host, Nicole Scherzinger. So this song goes out to my favorite fearless lady, Nicole, who has had more famous exes than Nick has had baby mamas. Now, no matter how you feel about Nick Cannon's prolific approach to fatherhood, uh, Lord knows social media has a ton of opinions. Good friends poking a little fun is certainly something to make you smile or laugh at least. That's all for today, everyone. We'll be back tomorrow with Friday's edition of People Every Day.